giving up 500 yards plus of total offense in a loss to the 49ers. The Seahawks defense is reeling and frustrations are starting to boil over. What has gone wrong and is there any hope for the Seahawks to turn things around with four games left to play? I'll be breaking it all down in our latest edition of Locked on Seahawks. You are locked on Seahawks. Your daily Seattle Seahawks podcast. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network. Your team every day. Greetings, 12. This is Corbin Smith, host of the Locked On Seahawks podcast, your daily Seahawks podcast, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. A special thanks to all the 12s out there, whether you're listening in nearby Bellevue or Springfield, Missouri. Thank you for making Locked On Seahawks your first listen five days a week. We greatly appreciate it. As we do each and every Monday, we're going to be tackling your questions here on a Monday mailbag, and I'll be dishing out my Monday musings fresh after watching the All-22 film of the Seahawks' loss to the 49ers yesterday. What went wrong on offense and defense? And of course, a look at some positives coming out of a game. The Seahawks, quite frankly, were closer than the Eagles were to the 49ers one week earlier. This jam-packed episode is brought to you by Prize Picks, the easiest and most exciting way to play daily fantasy sports. Go to prizepicks.com slash locked on NFL and use the code all lowercase locked on NFL for a first deposit match up to $100. Now for your lead story here on our Monday edition of Locked on Seahawks. The Seahawks defense has been up and down all season long for a brief stretch earlier in the year. It Looked like the defense was rounding into form with some dominant performances, albeit against lesser competition. But with the schedule getting much tougher in November and December, the defense has fallen off as of late, giving up 527 yards yesterday to the 49ers. This after giving up well over 400 yards in the first loss to the 49ers at Lumen Field. The defense has been reeling, even with the group for the most part being really healthy. It just hasn't meshed as expected. And Pete Carroll had some really candid comments after yesterday's game against the 49ers about the lack of execution for the Seahawks. If you look at the comment, he said, there was nothing new about those things. We didn't execute well enough to stop those opportunities. That's the stuff we practiced, and we needed to come through and make those plays. We didn't do it. So simply put, Pete Carroll saying the 49ers – they were running exactly what we thought they were going to. Maybe the late Dennis Green would have said it even better. They are who we thought they were, and we let them off the hook. The Seahawks certainly did that in yesterday's game against a familiar foe. The 49ers weren't doing anything that the Seahawks should have been prepared for, whether it was the deep ball to Debo Samuel running a skinny post, or it was Christian McCaffrey getting 72 yards in the game's first play on a uh, toss sweep to the left. These are plays that are staples in San Francisco's playbook under Kyle Shanahan. They have slight variations with how they can run these plays, but they are staples that NFL defenses should be prepared to be able to defend. Now, stopping it is easier said than done. This is one of the best offenses in the NFL for a reason. But reading through Carroll's comments, there's a couple different things that you can consider here. One, the Seahawks could be in a situation where the coaching just isn't good enough, even though they are getting these plays on film and they are 
preparing the Seahawks. They're not doing a good enough job getting them ready to play. That could be the first argument that you would make. Well, we know that they're going to run these things, and we're still not stopping them. You can look back at the coaching staff and say, okay, we haven't done a good enough job getting our players ready to play. You also can look at it from a player perspective, especially the secondary the way that they have struggled against this group. What are you not figuring out during the pregame preparation process during the week? What is not registering that is preventing you from being able to prevent the 49ers from getting a bunch of big plays? They had eight plays yesterday of 25 or more yards, seven of those being passes. You just can't give up explosives like that against a really good football team and expect to win it over 300 of their yards came on those eight plays so it really was one of those mixed bag performances the Seahawks did a lot of good things on the defensive side of the football yesterday they forced five punts a couple of three and outs they generated two turnovers but there wasn't a mid round they either were getting steamrolled or they were getting off the field quickly and you just can't win games playing hit and miss defense like that especially when your offense isn't putting up 30 plus points the Seahawks were not able to do that with their backup quarterback in yesterday and I think that maybe the most notable thing coming out of this how big is the talent gap between these two teams because you can scheme all you want but at the end of the day if you don't have the athletes and you don't have the playmakers to be able to defend what another team has it doesn't matter how much you scheme things up. Sometimes coaching can offset talent deficiencies, but it could just be a case where the Seahawks just don't have the stars that the 49ers do. And for that reason, that talent differential is showing up on the field with these big plays. The Seahawks had plenty of big plays of their own in this football game. They've got plenty of star power on offense, but defensively, their stars didn't rise to the occasion. And, and maybe it's not because they're not putting the effort in. It could just be that big of a gap between San Francisco's best players and Seattle's best players. And you just look at the numbers for this defense. It's it's pretty rough to look at for the season. 4,771 yards allowed. Right now that ranks 28th in the NFL. 89 missed tackles. That's the fourth most in the National Football League. You get to see that on display again yesterday with a number of plays where the 49ers were able to pick up big yardage after the catch or big yardage after contact in the run game because the Seahawks could not get ball carriers to the ground. And they are sixth worst in the NFL, giving up 47 pass plays of 20 or more yards. They padded that statistic yesterday, giving up seven such plays to the 49ers, two of those being 40-plus yard touchdown receptions, George Kittle and Debo Samuel getting those. There was a 45-yard pitch and catch to Brandon Ayuk as well. This defense, just quite frankly, is not getting the job done. And whether it's the coaching, whether it's the personnel, whether it's a little bit of a blend of both or just straight up talent issues, they've got to look in the mirror. They're going to try to figure this out right now. And the Eagles are going to be coming to town, losing their past two games. They are going to be angry, looking to right the ship, not the opponent that you want to see coming out, trying to have a feel-good game in Lumen Field, but that's what the Seahawks are facing here. They've lost four straight for the first time in the Pete Carroll era. You can feel the frustrations boiling over in the locker room with the way things have transpired. Pete Carroll is not one that's normally going to criticize players openly, and yet on his morning show today, he outlined that Jamal Adams and Julian Love missed their coverage assignments on touchdowns. He was not afraid to say that they need to do a better job and that they've addressed those issues. He is publicly speaking out against some of the play from his players. That is not typical Pete Carroll speak. That's frustrations on his part. After the game yesterday, Quandre 
Greg Diggs was talking about how talent matters only so much if you're not learning from your mistakes. This defense is making the same mistakes, especially against familiar opponents. Time and time again, it feels like deja vu every time they play the 49ers. They're able to do the same things and get big yardage, get long touchdowns against them. It's been that way for several years running, and this is why they've lost five straight games to the 49ers. But they're not learning from the mistakes that they are making, and you can sense the frustration from the veterans on that front. So this is a defense that right now there may be some bickering going on behind the scenes because they're trying to figure out how they can get things cleaned up. And to this point, they haven't been able to fix the execution issues that they have against quality football teams. Things are not going to get any easier with the Eagles coming to town. They have some weaker offenses later in the schedule, but by that point, it may be too late now that they're six and seven. The defense has to step up and they have to eliminate some of these big plays that have been killing him over the last month. They're going to have to figure out, is it a coaching issue? Is it a personnel issue? If it's a talent issue, that's probably not something that's going to be fixable at this point. They're going to have to address the defense once again in the offseason. But this is going to be a crucial next four weeks for this defense. And players and coaches alike are going to be battling for their jobs beyond 2023, whether it's Clint Hurt, whether it's Quandre Diggs, Jamal Adams, Bobby Wagner, Jordan Brooks, everybody is under the microscope right now. You want a spot in this football team next year, either on the sideline or on the field. You need to show for the next four weeks that you want to be part of this and that you deserve to be on the roster. Everybody is under that microscope right now with four games left in the season. Coming up next, I'm going to tackle your questions in our Monday mailbag segment. We've got tons of questions off of threads, some really good ones. Going to be diving into those when we return here on our Monday edition of Locked On Seahawks. Why root for your team on an empty stomach? That's a game day travesty that ensures you won't be cheering at your very best. Order on DoorDash right now and save on football watch party favorites. You can get 50% off up to a $10 value when you spend $15 or more on your first order, downloading the DoorDash app and entering the code LOCKEDON23. When I'm kicking back and watching the game with friends and family, I love to order Jet City Pizza. It's my favorite gluten-free pizza place in the Seattle region. They have dedicated individual ovens just for gluten-free pizzas. You can get a two-liter root beer, cinnamon sticks for the rest of the party. DoorDash makes the process easy, so I don't have to leave the comfort of my couch for delicious, great-tasting food before and after kickoff. It's so simple. I've ordered Jet City so much off the DoorDash app. The people who manage the restaurant know me by name. Ready to satisfy your taste buds on game day? Quench those cravings with your favorite local restaurants via DoorDash. Get 50% off up to a $10 value when you spend $15 or more on your first order. Download the DoorDash app and entering the code LOCK23. Subject to change, terms apply. You're listening to the Monday edition of Locked on Seahawks. This is your host, Corbin Smith, riding solo for today's episode. A special thanks to each and every one of the 12s out there. Thank you for making Locked on Seahawks your first listen five days a week. We greatly appreciate it. Locked on has launched the first ever national sports 24-7 streaming channel on YouTube. Make sure to check it out, Locked on Sports Today. It's here for your 24-7 sports coverage needs. They've got the top sports stories of the day with local experts from Locked On, plus our national shows covering every league. Go to Locked On Sports Today on YouTube and subscribe to the first ever national sports 24-7 streaming channel. With it being Monday, as we always do each and every week, it's time to open up the mailbag. we got a ton of great questions from you, our valued listeners, and we're going to kick it off here. Our first question coming from... Jetski73 via threads. 
how do we get Dan Quinn back? Kidnap him or pay him like a head coach? So, you know, that first idea, you know, maybe somebody can try to abduct Danny Quinn, but I think you're going to have a hard time doing that with this particular coach. Paying him like a head coach, yeah, you have to make him the head coach. That's really the answer to this question. If you want Dan Quinn to come back to Seattle, it would have to be as a replacement for Pete Carroll. And I know that there are fans out there that are wondering if that time is coming with the way the season has transpired. I don't know if we've quite reached that point here. The Seahawks still have four weeks to get things right. I don't know that everything's going on. It falls on the head coach, but Dan Quinn is running one of the best defense in the NFL in Dallas, even after losing an all-pro corner earlier this year in digs with a torn ACL on the practice field, this defense has kept rolling. Really the worst performance they've had recently was against the Seahawks on that Thursday night game when Gina Smith led five touchdown drives. But Dan Quinn's got a really good defense there. Everybody knows what he was able to do with the Seahawks as the defensive coordinator when they went to -to back-to-back Super Bowls, winning one of them in 2013-2014. If you want Dan Quinn to come back to Seattle, though, he's not going to be coming back as the defensive coordinator. He would have to be hired as the new head coach It would make sense if they were to move on from Pete Carroll. That would be a top candidate to consider to bring back, considering the success he had as a defensive coordinator with the organization. But you're not going to be getting him on a lateral move where he's coming back as the defensive coordinator. That is not going to happen. So if you want him back, it would be as the head coach. Our next question from the Tom Cahill via threads. Odds the following players are on the Seahawks 2024 roster. Jamal Adams, Quandre Diggs, DK Metcalf. Since the season's not over, there's four games left to play. I think that this is probably a question that would be best served to revisit after the season, whether it's after week 18 or a playoff loss, however things end up playing out. It would be a question that would be worth revisiting. But We're deep enough in the season that I think it is worth exploring this possibility, especially with two of those players being extremely high-priced safeties that I don't think have played anywhere close to their contract, at least this year. Of those three players, I think the one that is most likely to not be back next season, I would have to, at this point, probably say Jamal Adams, and the Seahawks would have to eat a lot of dead cap space to make that happen, but Barring a real turnaround here the last four weeks where he starts playing like the game-wrecking safety that he used to be, if he's not able to turn that light switch on and he continues to struggle the way that he has, then I think it's going to be difficult for the Seahawks to look at that cap number and say, you know what, it's worth it for us to just keep paying this guy. I think at some point you have to cut your ties, and that's what smart organizations do. do. They acknowledge a mistake that organizations doubled down on this trade for Adams on multiple fronts, giving him the massive contract they did this past season, uh, deciding to restructure his contract. That's going to make moving on from him more expensive next year. But uh, I would think that that's the one that's more of a 50-50 proposition. Diggs, I'd probably say 60-40. I I think that there's certainly a chance the Seahawks to try to move on there as well. I don't think that he has played as poorly as what Adams has at this point. And teams still are not testing the seams very much against this defense. That's a uh, that's a credit to his ability as the center fielder. At the same time, there's been a lot of missed tackles. Metcalf, I'm going to say 100%. I don't see any way the Seahawks are moving on from him. I don't think he's been one of the problems. I know the off-field annex as far as the penalties that we've seen, fans are getting frustrated by that. But this guy is still a very productive receiver that I feel like this team has not done a good enough job emphasizing him in the passing game and finding ways to get the ball in his hands. So he's 
still a young player. I expect DK is going to be there. We'll see what happens. There's still four weeks in the season, but I think that the safeties are in a more tenuous spot than what DK Metcalf would be for being on the roster next season. Coming from Jariah Weaver on threads, what position groups need to step up for the Seahawks to compete with the Eagles? next week now, there's one position group in particular the interior offensive line you look at what the philadelphia eagles have up front with the drafts that they've had the last couple of years including jalen carter this is going to be his chance to go against the seahawks for the first time when they had the chance to pick him at number five overall then instead went with devin witherspoon but you've got to deal with all the talent the eagles have in that interior defensive line fletcher cox is still a quality player at this stage of his career that interior offensive line got abused yesterday for the most part. So that is a position group that has to play better. And I think that when you're looking at the run game for the Eagles, their ability to test teams horizontally, mix in the quarterback runs. I'm looking at the edge guys. Yesterday in particular, the 49ers had most of their yardage running off tackle to the left side. They've got to get better production from their edge defenders, particularly against the run. So those would be the two position groups that I'm looking at with this particular opponent, I feel like are going to have to play better for the Seahawks to have a chance to beat the Eagles at home on Monday night football. Xavier 610, what are your takeaways on Drew Locke's performance? Do you think he starts next week against Philadelphia, or would you think they will try to get Geno Smith back this week? So the last part of that question, if Geno Smith is healthy, you want him back in the lineup. And one of the reasons Pete Carroll said that they were willing to not play Geno Smith yesterday, I mean, they, they felt like he was going to be a hindrance to himself, couldn't move as well in one direction, could have injured his groin worse. There were a lot of reasons why they made the right choice there not to start him, but another reason that they made that decision, excuse me, another reason that they made that choice is because they felt like if we can give him this extra time to rest up, he's going to have another day here with Monday Night Football instead of Sunday. They're feeling good about his chances to be able to play. They're going to have to see how he progresses this week, but I would anticipate if he's ready to go that Geno Smith is going to be in the lineup, but if they have to play Drew Locke, I come out of yesterday's game mostly with positives. I love the pocket movement that we saw from Drew Locke yesterday, getting outside the pocket and still looking to throw the ball. He wasn't looking to just scramble all the time, but when he needed to, he was able to run away. There were a few times that the 49ers got to him when he tried to scramble. That's going to happen against one of the best pass rushes in the NFL, but I thought his ability to move the pocket was a big plus. I thought you could see the arm talent, particularly that 31-yard touchdown to DK Metcalf. I've watched the All-22 on that play about 15 times. I'm still trying to figure out how he got that football in there, but it really was a perfect throw against really good coverage by Ambry Thomas, and he was able to get the football into DK Metcalf there. The mobility, the arm strength, all those things were there, and I thought for the most part that he did a good job decision-making-wise, but that would be the one caveat there could have been three or four interceptions in this game for Drew Locke, and he ended up throwing two. The last one was not his fault. His arm got hit as he was trying to throw the football. But first one, he just underthrew Metcalf. I think if he put more air under that ball, he's got a chance to get a long completion. Just didn't throw the ball where it needed to be. And there was another play that two defenders got their hands on the football on a really poorly executed throw. Bad decision from him. So I think that would still be my biggest thing is the decision-making was good for most of the game, but there just seems to be two or three plays that jump out every game where you're wondering what Drew Locke is thinking, why he's throwing the football there. But overall, I was encouraged 
coached by the performance. And I don't think that he was the reason the Seahawks lost yesterday. He played pretty well. He led several scoring drives and it felt like there were some times that the offense was a little bit too conservative. They, they could have let him go a little bit more, but I liked what I saw from Drew Locke in yesterday's game. Is Pete forcing Waldron to be conservative, or is this really Waldron with no input from Pete, or is Waldron offering up vanilla plays because he doesn't have faith in personnel? So I don't have enough insight to tell you how much Pete Carroll's involved with offensive play calling. I've always believed, based on what I've seen, that he generally keeps out of that. He's had some issues in the past where he's gotten his nose in it a little bit, but generally he has allowed his offensive coordinators to run the show, run their offense. I have to think that last part might be part of it, that Shane Waldron may have some personnel questions, and it still, to me, goes back to the offensive line. We saw yesterday the issues late protecting Drew Locke. They gave up six sacks to the 49ers of Geno Smith under center only a few weeks earlier. Late pressures in that loss to the Cowboys. That is still the thing I think that may be in the back of Shane Waldron's mind that maybe is limiting the playbook a little bit. Just the concern, are we going to be able to protect? Are we going to be able to run certain run schemes with our offensive line? So I'm wondering if that has to do some with it. When it comes to using the tight ends or the lack of use of the tight ends, though, you would think that would be something that would help offset the offensive line issues. And just feels like that has not been an emphasis for this team. When they go that direction, we saw it yesterday. When they get the tight end ball, they went right down the field and scored a touchdown. And then you don't hear from them the rest of the game. And that's an indictment on his play calling. But I do think the offensive line, the personnel up front, that is probably a big part of why the play calling has been as vanilla as it's been at times. I just wonder if Shane Waldron believes that they can protect well enough to run certain plays, concepts in their playbook, and certain runs. Are, are they going to have enough blocking there to be able to do it? So I do think that's the one way, one area that you could maybe give him a defense, that he is dealing with an offensive line that's still – they've had injuries, they've been in and out with guys in the lineup. That may still be the thing that's held him back little bit as a play caller but you can certainly look at some other thing and say this just falls on the play caller you got to do a better job getting your tight ends invo involved you can't have three quarters where dk metcalf doesn't get targeted you don't find ways to get in the football there are certainly things you can look at that are worth scrutinizing for waldron coming up next i'm going to be dishing out my monday musings my in-depth takeaways just watch the all 22 film from yesterday's loss to the 49ers what jumped out to me on offense and defense I'll be doing that next year on our Monday edition of Locked On Seahawks. Price Picks is the largest independently owned daily fantasy sports platform in North America. It's the easiest and most exciting way to play daily fantasy sports. It's just you against the numbers. You're not battling thousands of other players, including pros and sharks. You pick more than or less than on two to six player stat projections and watch the winnings roll in. Prize picks is really simple to play. I can submit my entries in less than 60 seconds. And with basketball season here, you can have a bunch of fun with combo projections across football and basketball in the specials league for example i can have clay thompson and dk metcalf at 10.5 three-pointers plus receptions price picks even offers a reboot policy so your entries stay in play even if one of your players gets injured for football and basketball games if you have a player who exits the game in the first half and does not return to the second that player is rebooted price picks is the only daily fantasy sports platform with an injury insurance policy and that makes price picks an absolute blast each week it's an easy way to enjoy daily fantasy without the hassle and landing quick winnings go to pricepicks.com locked to the nfl and use 
Use the code locked on NFL for a first deposit match up to $100. That's prizepicks.com slash locked on NFL. And use the code locked on NFL for a first deposit match up to $100. Prizepicks, daily fantasy sports made easy. You're listening to the Monday edition of Locked on Seahawks. I'm your host, Corbin Smith. A special thanks to all the 12s out there. Thank you for making Locked on Seahawks your first listen five days a week. We greatly appreciate it. Don't forget tomorrow, Rob Rang will be rejoining me. The two of us will have our Tell the Truth Tuesday takeaways, our final thoughts coming out of Sunday's game, and start looking towards another big matchup against the Philadelphia Eagles on Monday night football. Make sure you're tuning in. That show will be kicking off live at 5 p.m. Pacific time. Seahawks falling to 6-7 and seven yesterday, swept by the 49ers, fifth straight loss to their division rivals, a 28-16 defeat, a game where the Seahawks had chances in the second and third quarter to maybe make things interesting, but they just couldn't make enough plays on both sides of the football to overcome the underdog status that they had coming into this game. They were double-digit underdogs for a reason, just weren't able to make enough plays. The 49ers got the job done. Gonna dish out my Monday musings, and it's just like any game. It's never as bad as you think, never as good as you think. I came out of yesterday's game, there was a lot of negativity, and still, you look back at the film, there was a lot of things to be excited about from the Seahawks, and they were much more competitive than what the Eagles were against the same 49ers team one week earlier. They had the lead for a brief while. There were some positives that really jumped out, and for me on the offensive side of the ball, I talked about Drew Locke. I felt like he played pretty well yesterday. Zach Charbonnet, you look at the blocking in front of him. It was pretty poor most of the game, but there were a couple electric runs by him, two 23-yard runs to be exact in this game, and he continues to show that he is a dynamic backfield force for this team. You can question whether or not the Seahawks should have drafted a running back in the second round for a second consecutive season, but he just brings a different running style to the equation than Ken Walker the third. 36 yards after contact yesterday. He had that awesome run where he showed some wiggle, juking out Dre Greenlaw, who's one of the better tackling linebackers in the sport right now, made him whiff in space. Two 20-plus yard runs. He had five missed tackles by my count watching uh, the game today, the All-22. So we're seeing this kid, not only his – ability to power through defenders that that power that trucking ability well advertised coming out of UCLA but we're also seeing the elusiveness from this kid I've seen him come up and stick people in pass protection consistently this year and he's had his chances as a receiver not many big receptions but a guy that you can dump the ball off to he really continues to be a positive for this offense when he's in the game it seems like good things happen as long as he's got blocking in front of him. He had a couple negative runs yesterday where there was absolutely nothing he could do. The blocking broke down immediately after the snap. But when he's had something to work with up front, he's been able to make good things happen. We saw that with the 220-plus yard runs yesterday, demonstrating his elusiveness, his contact balance, his power, and his underrated burst. This is a kid that needs to continue to be a significant part of Seattle's offense moving forward. As for a positive on the defensive side of the football, I know that there's been a lot of murmurs out there from fans. We know this from the questions that we are getting about the Leonard Williams trade and wondering if it was a bad trade. You gave him a second rounder and a fifth round pick. I think at this point that this trade has been a home run, regardless of what's happened in the win-loss column for the Seahawks. It has not been because of Leonard Williams. That is not why this team has lost four consecutive games. 
games. To me, this trade has been a roaring success, even if the record doesn't reflect that. Just look at the numbers he's had since the Seahawks acquired him at the trade deadline. 21 pressures, three sacks, eight quarterback hits. He has been a consistent weapon rushing the passer from the interior. He had a couple really nice run stops in yesterday's game, too. You look at the stats, the 49ers aside, they had one run up the middle that McCaffrey scampered loose and got 20-plus yards. But taking that play out of the equation, the 49ers could not run the ball between the tackles yesterday. That is not where they were finding their success. And the big reason for that, Jaron Reed and Leonard Williams, they were holding surf in the middle. They were stuffing the line of scrimmage up. Christian McCaffrey had nowhere to go. And that was not the case when they ran off edge, obviously. And the 49ers took advantage of that. They continued to use those toss plays and their sweeps and things of that nature to really test the horizontal defense of the Seahawks. But when they tried to run it between the tackles, number 99 was a big reason why they didn't have much success. So he continues to play at a very high level. It's not his fault that this team is is swooning right now and they have not been able to get in the win column. He deserves to get some wins after coming over in this trade. He's played really well. And his games against the 49ers, he's now played them three times this year. He's had three really good performances against San Francisco, and I gave him the defensive game ball yesterday for a reason. The guy is getting the job done, both as a run defender and a pass rusher. He is not the problem. And for those wondering if he's worth re-signing, absolutely. Him and Jared Reed, I feel like that is a position group that even though it's a little older position group, they've got stability there. you get got two really good players. You have them back. You add a couple more pieces to the depth chart there, and that defensive line could be a strength for this football team. They've got some other worries uh, when he comes to defending the run up front but the guys in the interior that has been a strength for this team most of the season and Leonard Williams since coming over has been a big part of that as for the things that jump out from the negatives watching the film there's plenty of things that I could discuss here but uh, on the offensive side of the ball I mentioned it earlier during the mailbag segment I just still feel like the Seahawks don't have a long-term answer at any of the three interior offensive line spots. Now, maybe Timmy ends up being the center. We haven't gotten to see very much of him with Evan Brown being in the lineup. He missed some key blocks yesterday in pass protection and in the run game. Anthony Bradford had a really rough game. Really rough game. You want to give him as many chances as you can to try to learn from his mistakes. There's been some positive plays, but he gave up five pressures yesterday by himself. Missed on some run blocks, had a crucial penalty that called back a big play for the Seahawks as well. They need him to get better as the season progresses here with the opportunities he's going to have. And Damian Lewis, I thought the pass protection for most of the game was solid, but he blew a couple of run blocks that led to tackles for loss. There were three negative runs that were generated by missed blocks by this interior offensive line with the eight pressures. This is still a group that I just don't feel like right now, the guys that are playing at least, I don't know that the long-term answers are there for the Seahawks at either guard spot or at center. And as far as defense goes, I, I was looking to go another direction with this because I talked about it some on yesterday's show, but the Seahawks just are not getting enough production from their safety group. Julian Love did create two turnovers yesterday, so that's the one positive here. But this group gave up so much yardage yesterday in coverage. And I asked Pete Carroll about this yesterday. How surprised are you? that this defense is having the issues giving up big plays 
against a familiar opponent with the experience you've got at safety. And he seemed to try to downplay it, even though in an earlier question he mentioned Julian Love's missed coverage assignment against George Kittle that led to a long touchdown. And then Jamal Adams, his missed coverage assignment where Debo Samuel ran by him. And by the time he recognized it was way too late, 54-yard touchdown. Right there's two huge plays that the safety group was directly involved with. Quandre Diggs missed a couple of tackles. Jamal Adams missed three tackles. They are not getting anything close to the bang for their buck that they should be getting from this position group in particular. And I know it's going to sound like I'm piling it on, but when you're making 17 plus million dollars per year, you have to be a game changer. You've got to be a major factor on defense. And the 49ers yesterday were just willingly, willingly attacking Jamal Adams any way they could. He gave up 79 receiving yards on two receptions one of them being that 54-yard touchdown, and he missed three tackles. He was out of position on a number of other run plays, took himself out of the play, getting washed down by blocks, missed an opportunity for a quarterback hit on Brock Purdy on a blitz. You just look at this group as a whole right now, and Julian Love was a bright spot yesterday with the turnovers, but he also gave up that really long touchdown. They're just not getting the consistent stellar play that they should be getting with the amount of money, the draft picks they traded for Adams, all of the things they have invested in this position. This should be one of the best safety groups in the NFL. And right now, they're not even playing like a top 15 safety group. And that is a major problem when you consider all the money that has been invested in this position. They should have outstanding safety play, and they simply are not getting it. Is that all in the players? I don't know. It could be schematic-related stuff not being fully maximized with their skill set, whatever it is. They're not getting enough from that group, and it just continues to be obvious week in, week out. The 49ers were picking on their safeties yesterday. That is a major problem when they are two of your highest-paid players on the roster. As always, you can follow me on threads at Corbin Smith NFL. Subscribe and follow Locked on Seahawks on YouTube and wherever you get your podcast to make sure you don't miss a single episode it'll be tell the truth tuesday tomorrow i'll be rejoined by my co-host and crime rob ray we'll have some final takeaways coming out of this game start looking towards monday night football against the philadelphia eagles and much more enjoy the rest of your monday and thanks for listening in go hawks